Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of American Girls Podcast, the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series one book at a time, except not on this episode. I'm Mary. And I'm Allison. And we're coming to you with a very special mailbag episode today, in large part because I sort of had to make a demand based on the production schedule here. Uh, I'm very, you know, it's a very good reason I'm going to Ireland next week for my brother's wedding. Very exciting. But I will be away for a while so I can put this together before I leave. So hopefully you can all have something to listen to while I'm here, there, and everywhere. Just like an American Girl catalog coming into your home when you were 11 years old, we have had the joy of a bunch of you coming into our direct messages and our inbox. And it's our pleasure to be able to talk about some of the questions that you sent along to us. Yeah, I'm excited. We've gotten a lot of great responses and really looking forward to getting into it. Yes. So I want to start by first asking you a question that I feel like is really important. And our one of our listeners describes it as a burning question. Are you ready? Um, yes. So Nostalgia 1279, love that. We're all nostalgic for the Crusades. Um, this is her burning question since listening to the latest episode. Was the seltzer Mary was drinking to ward off sadness, polar or no? That's a great question. Now, I need you to know that I am a seltzer addict. I'm full on drinking seltzer all the time. I'm trying to think back to what I was drinking. Right now, I am drinking a polar pomegranate seltzer. So it might have been that, but I don't discriminate. I drink LaCroix. And if you want to laugh, go look up a music video called LaCroix Boy. Great stuff. Um, I drink bubbly. I'll drink anything. And I'm loving Mermaid Song, the seasonal flavor Mermaid Song. So... I live in the same county that Polar is made in. Wow, jealous. They're a local product, and I go through moods where I really love the baby cans, and I also really love the full bottles, because it does taste different. It does. Yeah, it really does. I used to be addicted to Diet Coke, and then I had to stop drinking soda, so seltzer was like my gateway drug, but... And now I, I don't miss soda at all. I love seltzer. But there used to be, a like, you would really notice that with Diet Coke. Like, if you had a Diet Coke in a glass bottle, in a chilled glass bottle, that was the absolute best way to drink Diet Coke. I love a warm Diet Coke that's been sitting on the Allison, counter. Allison, that is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely. Now, this is <laughs> almost as bad as your coffee habit, and I am calling you out on this. I'm also a nice coffee addict. I drink it year-round, and I also drink hot coffee. But when I drink a coffee, hot or cold, but in this case hot, I want to drink that coffee pretty soon after I get it. So I let it cool a little bit, but then I'm drinking it, you know, within an hour, okay? Allison will nurse what started its life as a hot coffee for roughly the following eight hours. I, I'm going to tell you what was almost a new low. I had a really, really good iced coffee. And I had left the cup at my desk. And the next morning, I was no. like, you know, no. I didn't. I didn't because it had been so hot. It's been about 80 in my workspace. But I thought about it for a split second. I was like, the girls probably still got it. No. I don't know. No, Allison, please do not do that. I can't lose you to like a Duncan-related fatality. Thank you. Now, Dollies and Rainbows asks a really great question, which will actually get us into this. Thank you for the seltzer question. Yes, love it. What made you start the podcast? 
Hmm. Well, do you want to start on that one, Allison? Or so there are many hours of figurative tape that lives somewhere in your flash drive of us trying out different things that went nowhere with this. So we've started this podcast three different times, right? But Mm -hmm. then... Well, I'm going to go further back. I'm going to give an answer that's sort of like a history of our friendship and coming forward. So Allison and I did go to the same college. I know we've mentioned this before. We did go to college together, but we did not know each other in college. I remember meeting you once at an organizational meeting for people who wanted to write, history majors who wanted to write a senior thesis, and I thought you were cool, and then I promptly never saw you again. Correct. And we had, like, a really good friend in common, still did not know each other. You went straight onto a PhD program. I took a year off. Then you very graciously offered to give me a tour of the place we went to grad school together. I was 10 minutes late. You noted that whatever moving on but one of the things we bonded over was one we both love pop culture we take that seriously but also I think we approached graduate school and the study of history from a perspective that it doesn't denigrate our ability to practice as historians to willingly admit to the things that made us want to be historians in the first place and for me that was not an academic monograph that I discovered in undergrad or even grad school it was the books I read when I was a child Um, including quite prominently the American Girl series. And I remember we both were in a graduate seminar at different times where we were both kind of denigrated for owning that. Yeah, and I think we've both long had an interest in using the skills that we gained in becoming historians to turn that lens on different things. And people who do not study history professionally love to say, you know, someday historians will have something to say about this. You know, actually, we have something to say about a lot of topics. We're able to use those same analytical skills. Um, I recently was able to discover a set of records in my professional life that was something people had been looking for for a long time, but just weren't sure where it would ever be. I was able to resolve a question that had been debated for, for several years. And someone said, well, how, like, how did you do that? And I was like, this is just literally the thing I'm good at. Like some people are good at cutting hair. Some people are good at knowing just the right thing to say. It's like I was able to find these ledgers for how much it cost to rent a pew at this church in 1828. Like that's it. Yeah. And we use those same kind of skills to think and rethink things in pop culture that are important to us. I also think in particular with American Girl, I think culturally we're very interested in fighting back against the denigration of anything that's associated with girls Mm -hmm. and the kind of privileging of things that supposedly young boys are culturally coded to like. You know, I think it's great that everyone be encouraged to like robotics and to like coding. I also think it's beautiful that lots of people should enjoy to play and care for dolls. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's a really tough thing to be a girl growing up in the world all the time, but it seems like, especially now, like things are very contentious. So I'm really happy that our show is kind of providing a space for conversations about these things, but also to kind of create this really cool community of women our age and older and younger who grew up with these dolls or, you know, still interested in them now, but also interested in pop culture and in thinking about how you, you know, just the things of life. I mean, I think on this show, we've kind of wandered into talking about all kinds of stuff, whether it be theories of the revolution and Britney Spears, but also thinking about grief and more serious things in the Josefina books and so on. So that's been really refreshing. We started 
this the idea for the show while we were still in graduate school we made various pilots of it at different times which have all been thrown out as we were playing (laughs) with the structure of the show but finally when I finished graduate school last year we both kind of took some time and you know thought about what we we wanted the show to be and you know happily now we're making it and you know it's still evolving we're probably going to have some new ideas of things we want to get into guests we want to have on but um you know we're looking forward to seeing where it goes i know we've gotten a lot of people asking us about the dear america books and if we're going to be covering those and i will just say that allison and i are in the planning stages of you know addressing some of these other books so stay tuned yeah lindsay um osborne asked are you fans of the dear america series as well you have no idea how big a fan i was of those books it's and i think it's insane (laughs) I think part of it was books are both very special to me and I am, I don't want to say I'm reckless with them. I love them hard. The fact that they had fancy ribbons that you could use as a bookmark, but they were also physically durable enough where like I would take books into the pool. Um, Thankfully, my husband isn't listening as we record this. He's horrified by that. Um, But I don't care. Like I don't care short of like I have ripped pages out if I needed to, but to me, as long as the book is basically intact when I'm done with it, I don't care what really happens to it. And I loved those books so hard. I remember, as absurd as it is, in the book about the young woman who is like moving west, the Kirsten type book, as well as the book about the woman on the Mayflower, they both have really intensely chapped lips. <laughs> and I have this very vivid memory of being a young person and being like, me too. Yeah. Because I was constantly causing like havoc with my habit of licking my lips in the winter. And my mother would be like, Allison, simple solution, stop doing it, use chapstick. And I remember reading about those girls and the girl at Valley Forge and being like, I get it. I've had this. That Valley Forge book was intense. The people not wearing shoes. Yeah. But also that like you could be friends with Martha Washington do you want to i mean we don't know that's the thing like we need more information but i'm open to it the one on the titanic the minute i picked it up it was like i know it's a mistake for me to read this yeah because <laughs> you're kind of a molly brown figure kind of yeah so it's like i know this isn't going to end the way i want it to end but no now a really great question it's kind of like a good quick one-off um and this is from our friend a yankel wisconsin pioneer girls Laura Ingalls Wilder versus Kirsten. Who? Oh. Okay, just off the dome, I can't comment on Kirsten because I have been told by many of our listeners that we have remembered those books incorrectly. Yeah. So I don't know. She's a question mark, literally a question mark in my mind. Here's the problem with Laura Ingalls Wilder. She came out incredibly hard against the New Deal. And I can't with that because I actually have FDR as my number two president of all time because of the New Deal. And actually, Laura Ingalls Wilder is part of a whole Western culture that conveniently erases the ways that they actually benefited the most from the New Deal in her kind of, you know, I was born in a log cabin, I built myself. First of all, you didn't, Pa built that. Yeah. I don't know. That's where I'm at with that, Allison. How about you? But what about, like, what about the TV show? Like, what about the 1970s? Okay, that lives in my mind in a completely different place and is honestly a perfect utopian entity. I love their shag 70s haircuts that go completely unquestioned throughout the whole series. And Nellie is a queen. Honest to God, a queen. 
the episode where she pretends she can't walk and she's oh in the wheelchair and Laura pushes her down that hill into the lake, forcing her to stand up. So we've both long been fans of the actual friendship between Allison Ingram, who played Nellie, and Melissa Gilbert, right? Yes. And Melissa Gilbert is fantastic. Yes. If, oh, yeah. If, if you know anything bad about her, you can tell me, but I have not heard it and you bought me Allison Ingram's um, autobiography which is fantastic um, and it's it's entitled Confessions of a Prairie you know the word and I read that on a cruise when I was in college or it must have been grad school because we were friends and I was like this is the life this yeah. is the life but she went on so I'm going to say this um, false choice I won't pick between Kirsten and Laura Ingalls Wilder. I'm going to pick Allison Ingram because she was a really wow. quiet, mild-mannered person. And her friendship with a co-star on that show who played her husband and his subsequent death from AIDS and his real kind of ostracization from other actors, that made her an advocate for people who were not being listened to, for queer people, for people who are suffering from AIDS and Melissa Gilbert as well. And it's this amazing story. Like yes. it's incredible. So pick up that book one and two. It's like, she's actually a hero in this Big and she did hero. not kill indigenous people. So that's always a nice move. That's a good one. Yeah. And she's hilarious on Twitter. So yes. Now, one of the questions we got, which was what historical girls would have been BFFs with each other. And that's from Kdu. Hmm. Hey, dude, that's a tough one. <laughs> Let me tell you why. I think Josefinas, from what I can tell, would probably accept friendship from just about anyone at this point. Like, mm. she's the person who sadly befriends or is befriended by, like, the school Billy who just wants to manipulate her or, like, add her to, like, her gang. <sighs> that makes me nervous, which makes me think that she would fall into the trap of one Felicity Merriman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Molly would be kind of like down to clown with anybody. That's just my sense. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely not wrong. With her can-do spirit, they'd yeah. all be lucky to be her friend. I think it's easier to spot who wouldn't be friends with one another. Mm. Like Addie and Felicity, I don't see that happening because Addie is actually a reader and has like can sit in quietly and have really deep thoughts by herself and actually thinks before she speaks and acts, which is not the Felicity brand. I think Samantha and Addie would coexist in a suffrage organization, but inevitably the white tears of Samantha would blow Woo. up, right? It would blow up into a huge confrontation and Addie would have to walk away. Yeah, it would be really rough. And then Samantha would be like, but you were my black friend. Yeah, like it wouldn't end well. And Nellie would have to smooth things over her Nellie for the hundredth time. Yeah, it's... Yeah, that would be bad. I don't know about Kaya, but a colleague has been giving me some insight into the Kaya universe, and I'm excited to read her books now. I don't know a whole bunch. Um, I feel like one of the greatest like discoveries yet to come is who Kirsten really is. Yeah, I really don't know. Truthfully, I have no idea. Because it's not Val Tripp, so it's going to be something really different for us. It's not going to be the same experience. And is that what we're doing next? It, it will be, yeah. So we will mm. have gone from um, 1774 to 1824 to 1844. Got it. Okay, which well, is that's exciting. exciting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, 
Um, someone asked us, um, this is Kay Do again, so we'll do both of her questions. She would love to hear our thoughts on the American Girls Enneagram numbers. Hmm. It, it, not that it stops us with other things. I don't know that we're qualified to do that. Oh, for sure we're not. But I mean, that I never mean, stops us. I don't know. I, I don't know. I have to look up the, the letters because I'm not as adept at that. So like there's one that's the helper. That's obviously Josefina. Like we know that. Right. I mean, I'm more of the world of like I'm an ISTJ. I forget what you are. What am I? I don't remember. Um, no, I, I would love if this person has a resource that talks about the Enneagrams. Yeah. Or if they have a doll that could take the test for us. Yeah. Because I don't get even back know to my us. Type. I need more information. Yeah. yeah Kdu, like hit us up because um, I'm on a website right now that kind of looks like it might enroll me in a cult, which I'm nope. not like. Got to pull okay. you back from that one. Okay. We're not prepared yep. for that yet. This is a double feature. We'll we'll try to keep it. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. Together. Um, Related to what we were just talking about, MEB78 asks us, any ideas why people seem to love to hate on Samantha? She was my favorite with a heart. Okay, I'm afraid to answer this because the question as posed feels autobiographical and I can't answer that part. Here's the thing. I just want to start by saying, I'm sure if we knew you, we would like you. So let's put I, that on the side. Because if you're Samantha, don't get it twisted. That doesn't mean we wouldn't like you. I'm sure we would. We have a lot of Samanthas in our lives and they keep us in check with this show. Yes. So I think, I mean, just being candid because this is the mailbag show, it's more fun for us to poke at Samantha and Samantha types because that's the kind of thing that a Molly would do. Right. More than it being like an actual philosophical stance that we have. My sense is it's because she's so fancy that people like to kind of poke fun at her because it's easy. But what if, and also she has like an Irish friend that seems paid to be her friend, which is, seems to be an ongoing theme. Anyway, what if we get to the Samantha books and we fall in love with Samantha? I'm prepared for that. And speaking of, I want to share something that a listener named Chelsea sent to us. Um, so Chelsea has a really cool job in public history. She works at the Henry Street Settlement and they actually use Samantha in one of their materials to talk about the real history of their founder and to loop that into a Samantha plotline where she visits a settlement house with Nellie, which is really awesome. That's cool. 
Yeah, so they have this kind of profile series called Humans of Henry Street, and they made a profile of Samantha to kind of connect the fictional piece with their real story, which I thought was really clever. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. And we'll link to that when we post information about this episode. Um, She also gives a shout out to Jane Addams, which is one of my heroes. So we thought that was really neat. Very, very cool. Um, And we have another kind of Samantha piece that we'll share in a bit because it's amazing, but it requires more attention. Ooh, I'm interested. But I just want to say if anyone out there is a Samantha, that's totally cool. Like, I hope we've made it safe to be a Samantha in this OGAG community. Because as you can probably tell, I have a very lax memory of any of the plot lines of these books. So I don't even know what I'm hating on when I hate. I just love to kind of tease our friends who are very clearly Samantha's in the same way that I tease them about being cancers because I don't really even know what that means. And we mean cancer in the sense of the astrological sign, not in the way that Demi on Bachelor called another woman the cancer of the house, just to be clear. (laughs) Yes, that is a great point. That is a great point. So Kristen Foringer asked us a totally different question, which is what are your dissertation topics or what were your dissertation topics? Hmm. Allison? Yeah. So I'll talk a bit about what I studied. Um, So I was interested in the history of home ec as an academic discipline. So I actually focused my study on an American woman named Fleming Cottrell, and she was previously kind of noted and notable as the first African-American woman, um, really the first minority to receive the highest degree in the field of home economics, and that was in, in the 1930s. And it was kind of this intriguing entry point to look at why at historically black colleges this might be a kind of pathway into different careers and her story really opened up this whole other world of why and how women in a certain part of the 20th century studied home ec and used it to get involved with the foreign service um, with various kinds of things like with the american Um, Institute for International Development, um, the Rockefeller Fund, the Ford Foundation. So just all these different pathways that women used and kind of defying what you think of as being home ec. Very cool. And I I don't do that anymore. So (laughs) you're welcome to read it. Um, um, It was a lot of fun to research. I learned a whole lot. I got to travel um, and that was really great and meet a lot of interesting people. But once I was done with it, it just felt like I was done with the story and I'm happy with it, but it is it is online and free to read. It's very good. I've read it. I've read it in its various forms. Uh, you have read it many times. Yeah. I have, but it's very good. I recommend it. I research uh, the history of bibliotherapy, which is the use of books as medicine. So I study it in the United States from roughly 1800 to the present. And I'm still, you can check out some digital exhibits I've made at booksismedicine.com. And I'm trying to think, and I do community teaching. So I'm actually teaching a class right now that's called Bibliotherapy and Memoir, where the first part of the class, I talk about a case study in the history of bibliotherapy, whether it be um, books as medicine in insane asylums in the early 1800s or books being used as medicine in World War One, and so on. And then we actually have a prompt that asks you to reflect on your life as a reader relating to that um, case study. And it's a lot of people from the community who want, are interested in telling their life story. And so that's been a lot of fun. So I still kind of am working around in those kinds of things. Would you prescribe these Josefina books to anyone? 
No, hard pass. And actually, I do want to reach out to someone who specializes in counseling of some kind who can maybe come on the show and talk about grief because actually these books have been making me reflect on grief quite a bit and I would love for someone who actually counsels other people to maybe who's been on this journey with us to to share with us about whether or not these books would be good for someone who's grieving a child or an adult and if not what are the kinds of things that you should read in your grief I was actually just teaching last night And I was thinking about you, Allison, because a student of mine told this amazing story. The prompt that they had was to write a letter um, to an author of a book that had um, been really important in their lives. And a woman actually wrote a letter to Kate Atkinson, who wrote Life After Life, which is a book that you and I both love. And it was it was really beautiful. But basically, um, she had been reading this book when her sister was dying and she was reading this book in the scene where Teddy dies and he's thinking he's reflecting before he passes at the moment that she found out later the exact moment her sister passed Ugh. so she wrote a letter to Kate Atkinson about that but um you know so thinking about what kind of books would actually be of service to you in your grief would be something might be cool to talk about on the show so who knows So we have a listener named Allison who has been really great at messaging us different insights because she also recalled really vividly the books that are about being a girl or about being a woman, the kind of later topical books like How to Be a Good Friend. Mm. And she is a therapist. And she just messaged us a few hours ago saying, when you were talking about Valerie Tripp's daughter, it made me think. What if Josefina is Valerie's ideal image of how her own daughter would grieve her if she died? Oh, my God. I never thought about that. Allison's get right to it. They really do. Allison might have to come on the show. I need to talk to Allison. But she had she had asked previously and we did not have an answer to this if there was any book in the entire American Girl universe, but particularly the historical books where a character has either signs of or a clear manifestation of an eating disorder. And my instinct was no, but I couldn't say for sure. So if anyone knows the answer to that question, we would appreciate it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and it might be cool to actually, I mean, we talked earlier in the show about how we're going to be evolving the show, but it might be cool to do some episodes on think topics that are would affect you know, all of us in different ways and how they relate to the books and just, you know, how to deal with them. Not unlike the American Girl U series. There was a tweet that did really well a few months ago where someone was talking about a few fantastic up and coming graphic designers and cartoonists. And they had suggested a new version of the care and keeping of you, which I think would do so well. Yeah, and we should actually start doing maybe a couple of those kind of care and keeping of you episodes where we have really cool guests on to share information with us. You know, we'd love to start with our listeners. So if you have a care and keeping of you topic that you would like to talk about with women our age, then please send us an email at what is our email? americangirlspod at gmail.com get at us on instagram or twitter and we'd love to have you on the show so if you have a topic like grief or thinking about money or mindfulness or relationships or friendship or any of the things that we're all managing on a day-to-day basis please we'd love to have you on the show absolutely um also looking further ahead bailey the bookworm asked us which american girl doll books are you most looking forward to reading 
Um, and she had said, which new American Girl dolls books? So, like, the ones that are not part of the OG. Okay. I know your answer. Who do you think I'm going to say? Julie. Yep. <laughs> because the disco and the basketball, and you like to imagine that she's a Karen Carpenter fan. I do. I think that's great. Oh, man. When we went to that musical, like, first of all, I did feel way out of place because I felt like you and I were, like, casting ourselves on it to catch a Predator episode because we were just, like, two adult women not there with any children, like, just kind of vibing on the scene. And a lot of it felt strange to me, as we described back in episode one. But that Julie disco number, that was the redeeming moment for me. I mean, also, the space stuff was way crazy, but... That disco ball and the basketball, man. I'm all here for it. I I couldn't have been less into that, but there was other things. <laughs> I, I looked over at you and you were like, this is, you were, ab- you like seemed like totally anxious and afraid. <laughs> and meanwhile, yeah. I was like, this is exactly where I live. I love this. Like put on the ABBA, put on like the WNBA. Like I'm so ready for this. So I'm really excited about Kit because I'm really interested in that time period. She's 1930s. Um, I also find that I basically dress like Kit, and that's the hairstyle I thought I was going for and instead ended up with something quite different. So maybe Kit will teach me a thing or two. But I think your haircut has grown out in a really nice way. And I also didn't think it looked bad at the time. I'd stay on record on that. Well, speaking of hair... Melody Bailey bravely asked us about our AG doll care tips. And I think the most we can provide is a what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for dolls as in life, like for yourself, giving yourself a haircut or your doll a haircut is a no-no. And Allison, I, you know, that isn't like me subtweeting <laughs> you, but it kind of is because I, I have had to tell you preemptively when you've been really stressed out. I know that's your trigger. And I will say to you with no context, please don't cut your bangs. So the day I got this haircut, I was going to text you and tell you that's what I was doing. And then I didn't because I was like, she's going to tell you no. Allison, but you need that check sometimes. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, Like one time I remember being in a bathroom with you like at work and you were staring at yourself in the mirror, like just kind of like quickly looking at yourself. And I could tell the way you were looking at yourself that you were thinking about cutting your bangs. And I was just like, please stop. Don't do it. Just say no. I know. And that's why my Molly's bangs are all cut and her hair is all split at the bottom. Um, There are people who actually really know what they're talking about with dolls and you should listen to them. Ours ours were not cared for in that way. But I'm going to say in my defense, like just as we grew up with these books, our teenage years were saturated with commercials of women who were on screen cutting their bangs, but like mentally choosing to take birth control. <laughs> like that was a trope for years when we were growing up where it was like, are you a cool woman who takes charge of her life? And it would be like cut to a woman just like making bangs and then going to the pharmacist. You don't remember this? I guess. I mean, I'm, I would love to like track back to this and see one of these commercials. I believe you. Like, As a person who made like a really careful choice to have bangs, I was always like, these people are flip floppers because it was women like just creating bangs on a whim. Where there had been none? 
where there had been none. So it wasn't sort of like upkeep. It was, I'm no. making bangs happen today from nowhere. Exactly. Oh, wow. That's a very drastic choice. It is. But as I said to someone recently, I was like, bangs choose you. I mean, as I would say within your teen years and adulthood, bangs choose you. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's like sometimes your parents are just like, you're getting bangs. That's true. That's true. My act of independence was the opposite. I grew out my bangs very dramatically at 12. And by that, by dramatically, I mean, it took me like a year to make it happen. But that was my moment where I was like, I'm doing this. These bangs are out. How many hours of your young adulthood were spent using butterfly clips or just like the metal clips to put two pieces of hair back? Okay, my standard hairdo from roughly sixth grade through eighth grade was two half ponies held back with butterfly clips on either side. And then I sort of had the rest of my hair long. And when I tell you, I thought like I looked like a perfect 10. Yeah. I mean, you know, like nothing could touch me with those butterfly clips. It was just, whew. Wow. So I, I had one better, which was I invested in a Claire's headband that had the clips right on top of it. Wow. So you didn't like it was like an illusion. It was like, it was like ladies, a- <laughs> <laughs> like I know you need to get fifth to fifth grade earth science. You don't have the time. The you do not have time for that. <laughs> no. You know what I just started watching that I've never seen before um, is Veronica Mars. Yes. But Veronica Mars has, like, butterfly clips. It has those, like, weird belts that seem, like, almost military-grade, but teenage girls were wearing them with, like, the, like, as if you needed 50 holes in your belt. Like, as if you needed to be that specific about where you <laughs> looped the belt. Yeah. Man, I think back on those looks, and it's just, it's wild. I think of the joy and the boundless optimism of a person who's, like, I have so much going on and in my Lisa Frank planner that I couldn't possibly affix these clips one by one. No. Hence a headband with all five. Wow. You don't have the time. You do not have the time. Like who possibly could? And then watching Jennifer Aniston at her peak. Now she's she's still peaking on your television and being like, if I get layers, it will look like that. I think everyone thought that. I think everyone who got the Rachel thought it was going to work out for them and then immediately realized the distance between celebrity (laughs) and ordinary life. The minute the hairstylist wheeled them around to the mirror and was like, here it is. What do you think? But I just want to throw it as a conspiracy and I would love someone to reach out to me about this. You know, did butterfly clips happen because Mariah Carey released an album called Butterfly? I think that's the substance of the butterfly effect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Now, on a related note, Cornhorse asks, how do you think AG influenced your sense of national identify uh, identity? And she self-identifies as being British. So she is not American. Okay. Hmm. I don't think I ever really thought about it in a national sense. I think I thought about it more in terms of identity. About It was always about girlhood to me. I think I very consciously, as a young girl, was always looking for role models of girls I wanted to be like. And I think that's what I really liked about Molly was that she seemed 
really independent and willing to be different and be kind of courageous. And I really wanted to be that way. I think Dear America seemed overtly more American or nationalistic to me. That's interesting, though, because those are such like one-offs. Yeah, but I think because they're one-offs, they're so bound up, pun unintended, in the historical moment that they're set, that they're more hitting, from what I remember, they hit you way more over the head with the history and Mm. the place and the subtext and the overt text. Whereas American Girl, I mean, we're reading Josefina right now. I don't have any sense that she's a part of any kind of you know, larger historical moment that she's living through. I mean, there's the politics of her family and the local community and her relationship with the indigenous community and so on. And that's very political. But I don't think that would influence my sense if I was reading this at 10 about what it means to be an American. I guess it's like a different question. What are the things that actually make you reflect on what it means to be an American? Yeah, I don't want to assign too much weight to say like that, that it was necessarily formative but I will say, I, I think about this really differently now. I feel like as a young person, I was very proud to be American. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I, we were sort of joking last week about um, the 4th of July being the Met Ball of Old Navy t-shirts. Yep. Because everyone wears that flag t-shirt on the 4th. But I I feel really strongly like we took a lot of road trips when I was a young person and we visited a lot of national monuments and I'm aware even because I interact with young people a lot who are clearly very proud of their country and who are very interested in kind of like moments of patriotism. I do feel differently now. I do think about patriotism as being more of a critical active stance than I did as a child. But I was very much moved as a child by what I would now think of as like nationalist spaces, I think more than your average kid. Yeah, I remember feeling that way too. And I think growing up in New England, we were somewhat privileged that we could move around to a lot of these spaces without too much difficulty. But I also grew up in a town where they hung a witch at one point. So I remember really Mm -hmm. thinking about that. I mean, uh, The Witch of Black Rupond is set in my hometown of Weathershield, Connecticut. And I read that book. And that didn't influence my sense of being American, but I think it did influence the sense that uh, my sense that you could dissent and that could actually be a sign of your dedication to a cause. So I think for me, reading these books in which girls um, often do the unexpected thing or dissent in some way or challenge authority and have that be a measure of their patriotism or devotion to a cause that stayed with me in a sense even as I went to these spaces and I had really strong reactions to them as well um, I think I also from these books got a sense that um, acquiescing or just going with the flow isn't really the sign of someone who's dedicated but it's someone who kind of works things out for themselves and stays true to those beliefs Um, I remember that impressing me as a kid well you think too like what unfortunately like what a privilege it was to grow up in the 90s where it was expected that there would be children's books about you right and that like that wasn't universally applied but as a girl there would be books of people that might be more likely to look like you than in previous decades 
I was at Barnes and Noble a few weeks ago and it was right around the anniversary of Stonewall and there was an entire kiosk and it had books for children and it had books about Marsha P. Johnson and it had books about Harvey Milk. I was like, I don't remember that happening even two years ago. Nope. I don't, I don't remember that happening. And I understand that there's probably a capitalist impulse there of like people are going to buy this or queer people are going to buy this for their children or people they know. At the same time, I don't think I could have fathomed that as a kid. No, I couldn't either. I I don't think that was remotely. Like, I think we all kind of knew about Christy and Babysitter's Club, but it wasn't spoken. I spoke on her. No, no. Like, we know, right? (laughs) We know now. She's in love with Marianne. Yeah, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty canon. If you don't know that by now, then we can't help you. No. But to think of living in a time where there were more, not not everyone, not the full range that it could or should have been, but I was reading an article today um, from the Chicago Tribune, the year that Josefina was really getting big in the 90s, and it was all about how like this is one more face in a group of women, and it tells a whole other segment of the country, like your people who look like you in the past are important too. Right. Well, there's the famous quotation, you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, representation definitely matters. And it's not a a story of progress universally. I mean, there's still a lot of issues and people and folks who need more greater representation. But yeah, I think it's, I'm hoping that's getting better. Who knows? Now, a very hard hitting question. Winnie asks, when is Valerie Tripp coming on? (laughs) Uh, first I would need to make sure my attorney could be present and I had a getaway car and a a new identity to start a new life ready to go. I, I think she would actually love to have a conversation with us. Uh, I'm hoping so. The few people who have reached out who have had interactions with her or know her have said that she's lovely and I totally believe that, but I also know that we have been way out of pocket on this show. So I think <laughs> I think my insistence would be like, can you please never listen to this show but appear on the show? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, that would make me feel safe, but I'm not sure that that would make her feel safe. So here's the thing. Bottom line, we can't afford her. No. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. We could probably get like a stewardess or a flight attendant who was on the plane when she flew to New Mexico for the first time and who could testify to Valerie like watching the piano on the plane. We could probably get that person. If that, I mean, I do just want to give you a flashback to when I was finishing my American Studies degree and a tenured faculty member helpfully suggested that I become a flight attendant. Yeah, that was really nice of him. Super progressive. That is nothing against being a flight attendant, but to suggest that that was a thing for which I literally had no training. And that was one of the first scary moments where I was like, what if American studies was a big mistake? (laughs) Well, and also if he had said that to the male majors too, yeah, then that would have been one thing. But the fact that he was just targeting female majors is, you know, for a career that you expressed no interest in and had no training for, You know, flight attendants who are flight attendants love it and it's a lifestyle and, you know, they're like way into it. But that was never a thing that you even referenced. So it feels like he was playing on stereotypes about that profession that aren't aren't even true. So he was insulting both flight attendants and you. 
Thank you. You're welcome. So this question comes from Ranger Emma, who donated a lot of our books, and we thank her very much. And she says, ladies, what if Tia Dolores is La Girona, which is a famous folk story that originates in Mexico of a kind of banshee slash murderer? Hmm. I think it's it's possible. What do you think? I think that Val probably knows about it. I think it's probably incorporated. But I also think the beauty of Tia Dolores is that she never gets caught. There are times when I do think that Tia Dolores does give off Yolanda Saldivar vibes. <laughs> I'm just going to say or, that. or someone messaging us. No one messaged us. That's just me. Oh, okay. Just checking. <laughs> People can say I'm wrong. That's okay. I can accept that. But it's not good. <laughs> just it's saying. Not. I mean, it's like someone who both like loves someone too much and like wants to take their life over. Yeah. Which happens. Yeah, that happens. So I'm just saying, like, put connect those dots. It's all possible. Now, we had kind of been joking about, you know, the possibility of us having a connection to Valerie Tripp. But I also think that it might be possible. Explain. So I have a good friend named Emily. We worked together close to a decade ago now as interns at a maritime museum in New England. And she has a connection to Valerie Tripp. So she is interested in having bonus content about different aspects of material culture, which I think is a fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, And so she has some insights into accessories. And she says, as you guys talk about the Quantum Leap episode mayhem of Valerie Tripp's mind, keep remembering that whatever each book was meant to accomplish in service to the world of each doll, it also had to be a vehicle for accessory sets. You were meant to reenact parts of the book with your doll. So I wonder how much she had to consider the merch when she wrote each book. So her aunt is visiting her. Her aunt has a connection. She says, I need to question her extensively as to how much corporate dictated storyline. If she knew Valerie, why the goat, etc. Maybe you guys need to collect her oral history. I cannot wait to find out what she knows and what marketing was responsible for. If I may, Emily then switches tracks. She's exactly our kind of person. Next bullet point. Who killed Heyman Lee? Why did Don have fake time cards at Lenscrafters? All caps, was it Don? We won't speculate on that here because I listened to enough legal podcasts, but I think you know my answer. Mm-hmm. Bullet point two. I also love John F. Kennedy. Bullet point three. I have been waiting for people to talk about anti-vaxxer Timberlake for months since he felt the need to announce they would not be vaccinating their children. He is a garbage person and it's on brand, but still, I can't. She has a connection to Beale. Listen up. My friend's brother went to Tufts with Jessica Beale and saw them at a mutual friend's wedding years ago. No matter what she does, I just keep seeing her doing cocaine in that scene in Rules of Attraction. (laughs) She talks about being bad at birth control because she, quote, did not major in math. True colors may have been showing. Oh, my God. Emily is is a whirlwind in this email and a beautiful figure in person. She is hilarious and funny. Um, and so a compliment from her means a ton. She binged a whole bunch of the podcast in a commute of moving back to New England, which is a great choice. So, Wow. I can just say, I don't know this person, but I love every color she's throwing at us in this email. Beautiful. Yeah. Totally yeah. beautiful. 
I love that she loves JFK. That's always a good sign. Also love that she's also, thank you for endorsing us calling out Justin Timberlake because, you know, we were, I wasn't really worried to do it. I felt how I felt, but, (laughs) and I still feel how I feel. I mean, I am so perpetually angry about all of them that it's, I need to take a beat on this, but I want to make this a positive, but he just received an honorary doctorate from Berkeley. And he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Now, another person who was also given an honorary doctorate at Berkeley in the same ceremony and also inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame is one Missy Misdemeanor Elliott. Wow. Guess what? These two are not equals. They're not peers. They're for sure not peers. I mean, she once asked, is it worth it? Yeah. No. She also once said, beep, beep, I got the keys to the Jeep. (laughs) No. Now, listener Haley asked us a really important question, and it's something we kind of dance around but aren't always direct about, where she says, can you guys please talk about the AGIG scene? For example, the Insta accounts where the dolls are professionally photographed. Then she sent along an example. Haley, we hear you. We see you. We respect the doll scene. We are not part of it because, honestly, we're not there yet in life. No, we can't remotely handle that. I could not stage a photograph of myself that was that polished. Honestly, we talked earlier about one of the inspirations for the podcast. I actually came across a photograph of someone's Molly McIntyre doll And she was standing holding an umbrella. It was raining in the photograph. And there were these like vulgar rap lyrics put in the comments. And I was like, we have to make a podcast. We kind of have to. Like, we don't really fully understand what's going on on AGIG, but we're dipping in and out. We're trying to figure it out. I'm loving that I said We do respect it. I'm just saying we don't, we're not in that world. So we don't fully know the rules or how it works, but... I do get inspired when I see people kind of creating their own dolls to fill gaps in historical moments or trends that they want to see represented. Like I've seen a lot of posts lately about creating dolls in the 80s who have ties to the AIDS crisis. And I think that that's really important work, especially in a a place in time like right now when um, kind of the political climate is, you know, the intention is to largely erase stories of difference or stories when you know, the government did overlook real suffering affecting lots of citizens. So when the when AGIG is stepping into the void and telling these stories, I think that's cool. We had a chance to meet. I am excessively dollverted at a conference, and she's someone who does that. She's made a temperance doll. Yep. Um, her name is Rebecca. She's fantastic. And another listener named Kate sent us Mandy Makes, her work is fantastic. She's doing really beautiful, really intricate historical clothing. Um, she considers her a vintage herself a vintage maker. So we both totally respect it. And I take some not professional photographs of my dolls as I can. But we know we're just not in their league. We're not. And actually, um, I got the chance to interview I Am Excessively Diverted at that conference along with two other folks. And we do have that tape. I'm cleaning it up. And we'll be bringing that to you hopefully very soon. So I look forward to sharing that. Now, I want to end with a beautiful email that we got from a listener named Corey Anastasia. Great name. We will ask, um, we do have permission to share, 
you know, as much as we want to on the show, I may ask if we can just post the whole thing on our website because it's amazing. But it is a five paragraph essay on the queerness of Samantha relative to other dolls. And I just want to share with you a tiny bit to give you kind of a tease to make sure that you will listen or seek out the rest. Um, She sent this to me while I was on vacation and I was in the Shenandoah area and actually lost signal partway through and I was like, this can't happen. (laughs) So she, she gets us started by talking about Samantha and she says, quote, Um, When we are first introduced to Samantha, she is already presenting as a tomboy, coded language, who is trapped inside of a heteronormative prison of compulsory femininity. One of the most important parts of Samantha's personality is her need to keep secrets from the adults in her life, which is a hallmark of queerness in children. It is also how Samantha is able to push for radical change while presenting as behaving. So I don't remember this next part, but I love the way she talks about it. Quote, we also see her early struggles with the patriarchy, represented in the series by her man antagonist, Eddie. Throughout the series, Samantha is pitted not against individuals, but systems of oppression, and she employs her privilege to navigate these systems. End quote. And there's there's a lot more, but I want to end with, like, she gets into Marxism, and it's beautiful, and wow. how she probably would have encountered the triangle shirtwaist. She says, in conclusion... Do not be fooled by pinafores. Whether or not Samantha was a lipstick lesbian or a soft butch, her (laughs) politics and advocacy is what makes her queerness the most effective and visible of the original five. She may not have worn glasses or stolen britches, but the heart that beat inside of her chest was that of a radical socialist committed to the downfall of capitalism and its violent inequality. This could not have been held back forever by compulsory long underwear and taffeta dresses. As a final note, when addressing the books on your podcast, I hope that you go over this lesser known adaptation of the book, Samantha Saves the Day. Um, And then she sent us a link, which we'll share. She says, finally, for what it's worth, I do believe that Samantha's relationship with Nellie is deeply queer and more than just a friendship. Cosine. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it can't be Josefina because there's just no friends. Ew, that's a tough one. That's <laughs> tough. That's tough to sit with that, but that is true. Um, I agree with it. Like, this person is convincing me. Like, I was so firmly in Camp Molly on this one, but I don't know. Like, this essay is great. Like, it's making me think about a lot of things. And the whole Settlement House connection, like, obviously, Jane Adams and others were having, like, female companions for life and whatever went on there, who knows. But I think the letters are pretty charged with romantic language. And so I think she's, I think she's on to something here. And I'm into it. And we actually had a whole exchange. So there's even more. And I have to say, one of the pleasures of doing this podcast is like we come at this at an 11 and a half and people are like I see you and I'm at 12. Yep that's what I want. (laughs) Um, I did also get a direct message from a listener tonight named Bernard and he pointed out something that we really should have caught which was if getting jiggy with it is a kind of fan fiction how did we not catch that the backup singer saying na 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 could also be nan? <gasps> oh 
Oh, my God. Like, it's so obvious when you hear it now, but what a goof on our part. I don't want to say we blew it, but we kind of did blow it. We kind of blew it on that, and I'm not proud of us that we let that happen, but this is why it's like we need people reaching out to us. We do. It's like we don't have the answers. We're just here to ask the questions, period. He also added that, quote, Ben is totally the kind of guy who supported the embargo of 1807 despite owning a store, relying on maritime trade, and thus losing his shirt. Whew. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He was going to be an heir do well. We know that. <laughs> yeah, poor Felicity. I guess. She'll probably be fine. She'll, inherit, she'll be fine. She'll inherit she'll Grandpa's be fine. plantation. She'll be okay. Absolutely. Now, if people have more hot takes, where should they find you? Please find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney and on Twitter at Mary Mahoney123. Now, you can find the show at American Girls Podcast on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter at A Girls Pod. And you can email us at americangirlspod at gmail.com, where we would happily love to receive more of your messages and essays for the next time we're able to do this kind of episode. And you can find me at Allison Horrocks on both Instagram and Twitter. Excellent. So this has been very fun. We love hearing from you. Please feel free to message us about really truly anything and everything. We are not qualified to speak on much. But that won't stop us from offering comments on almost any topic. So truly. So we do love hearing from you. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for reviewing the show. It really helps us find new listeners. And for also sharing it with people in your lives. That's the best kind of recommendation. So we do appreciate that. Uh, I will say as a final, like, I guess, teaser of where the show is going, we are talking about expanding the show to include some bonus content. Um, potentially with a Patreon. We're not sure. So if that's something that's of interest to you, please also message us and let us know if that's something that you would like us to pursue. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Get your Dear America ribbons out. That's all we'll say. That's all we'll say for now. And also maybe some Anne Rinaldi vibes. Oh, yes, please.